Hear that? That's the Survivor theme song, Ancient Voices. All the sounds you hear, no instruments, that's no instruments, that's my voice. Yeah, that's right, that's all me. See, I'm a fan of Survivor. Jeff Probst, you could say, is my host daddy. Now, the show season count is now in the mid-40s, but there had to be a season one. And that's what we're talking about today. The Island of Borneo. 16 castaways, two podcast hosts, Jeff Probst, and one survivor. This week on This Was a Thing. I'm Ray. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the retro podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. Ooh, the retro podcast. Well, you know, we love branding. We should probably also tell the listeners very quickly that uh, this is our first bi-coastal experience uh, in, in all of our episodes. That, uh, I recorded with my pants off. <laughs> no, I admit I was in New York and you were in Los Angeles. I don't know where the pants thing got involved, and I'm very sorry to our listeners. But anyway, this week we are talking about... The thing that they say started the modern reality television movement. Rob, I'm going to give you the first note of the theme song, and I just want you to guess what it is. Okay, ready? Okay. <laughs> it's the uh, theme song to I Love Lucy, and it was when Desi was getting a suppository. I love Lucy, and she loved me. It's That's Survivor. That is yeah. Survivor. Survivor kind of launched everything that we know now as modern reality TV, especially the competition stuff. Now, this was a thing because in the late 90s, early aughts, filming people just, you know, being themselves, kind of, sort of, versions of themselves, that became a whole new category on television, kind of like how the Food Network swept people in the early 90s. Reality television came in, and while a lot of people were, like, flashing the pan, the pan is giant. It was a giant pan, and it could feed... Seven billion people. There's a lot of flashing. There's a lot, a, flashing. Lot, a lot of flashing and even more blurring. Now, we're going to do something a little different this week, Rob. Okay, you ready? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. We're going to outwit, outlast, and outplay. Now, those three words, outwit, outlast, outplay, Survivor fans know that is the three. It's an easy three-word thing. But that kind of only came about later on because going into season one of Survivor, there was a lot of unknown. Survivor premiered in 2000, it being the year 2023, year of our Lord. They have two two seasons a year, Rob. So now the second season that's airing this year, what number would that be? They have two seasons a year? Two seasons a year, and then the car 46. is Oh, there we go. Wow, okay, I didn't even tell you the speed of the car. Yes, 46. Wow. I love Survivor. I watched it in the first few seasons, and then uh, I watched it again. I pretty much watched every season since like 2011. 
uh, my one thing is, though, I never remember the people. Yes. So when there's like an all stars or I've rewatched a season, it's like I, I do not remember these people at all, <laughs> at all. So it goes to show that, you know, it's good for the season, but they do not have memorable people. They sort of fade, don't they? The article that I used for this episode, I mean, was great. Uh, it had interviews with a bunch of the cast and crew and a lot of people involved. Uh it's called Birth of a Phenomenon, an oral history of Survivor Borneo, as told by the members of the cast and crew by Martin Holmes. And it's from the website Inside Survivor, which, man, they got the scoop. So Survivor, before it came out, it was kind of really a big deal. But it was such a big deal that episode one, no one had ever seen the show before, had 15 million viewers. Wow. The finale had over... 50-5-0 million. Wow, oh, wow. Wow, oh, wow. That is a lot. I don't even know two people. If you don't know the game of Survivor, it's basically you get lucky by having the greatest host in game show in, in television history. And I'm not being facetious. Jeff Probst is, in, he is an incredible host. Oh, he suddenly like, Mark Summers is old news. No, Mark Summers walked. So Jeff Probst could run. So season one, there were 16 castaways and they get split up in tribes. That's every season. There's like that. Sometimes there's three tribes. Sometimes there's four tribes. Anyway, they compete, but tribe loses and they have to go to a, uh, they have to go to tribal council, tribal council. Someone gets voted out. They vote out people from the tribe. And then when it gets to a certain number, they have a merge. So everyone uh, is now in one tribe then. But the whole point of the show now is, you know, you make alliances and you, you know, ba- you know, uh, do behind people's back, you vote them out and stuff. And that's part of the game is you get blindsided. That's the word I was looking for. You get blindsided. But all the stuff that Survivor is known for now, season one, they didn't have any of this. How do they get individuals to even appear on the show in the first place? I'll give you the uh, the brief, the little origin story. So uh, there was, so it was like a high school student and he liked taking pictures and they went to the science fair. And all of a sudden um, he was taking photos and he felt this sting on his hand. And a spider bit him. And no, wait. I, I, I don't think that's it. So Survivor's origins, they start like most television shows origins do. Um, the idea was thought up in an editing bay at UK's Channel 4 in the late 80s, just like every other TV show. Charlie Parsons was an editor for the, the magazine show Network 7. The show had um, an idea that would stick with old Charlie and be one of those things that it never left him. It was always there. The idea that stuck with Charlie was simple enough. Send four people off to somewhere that was remote with little resources. And as Charlie put it, quote, seeing how they got on. How'd they do, by the way? How did this show go? They didn't go with your average, you know, normal, normal Brit. No, no, no. They didn't just go with your average run of the mill people. No, Charlie had this to say. Quote, we went with a soap opera star. Accent, please. A famous tennis player, a stockbroker, and an ex-criminal. They went on an island in Sri Lanka, and we filmed it over four, uh, over a few weeks. There were no games of test, just a crew following them. All got elected to the House of Parliament. It was great to watch. When I went to run my own TV production company, Planet 24, great production, uh, I knew it could develop the idea into something that was long-running and could be repeated. It would make very interesting TV. Uh, now... Charlie, he just kept figuring of this concept, what parts of it could be picked up, 
repeat it over and over and not make it stale. Now, throughout the 90s, because this was in 1988, throughout the 90s, just ideas that he had in his brain. Sadly, at this point, all these ideas weren't just uh, landing with any network. You know, they, 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 they were listening, but they didn't want it. But he certainly wasn't going to the network's empty hand. Now, in 1995, Charlie was just living in L.A. And uh, Buena Vista Entertainment was giving him money to help develop the shows. Buena Vista. Now, another person living in L.A. who also might feel like a Brit out of water was up and coming future mega producer Mark Burnett. This hot Mark Burnett, Mr. Extreme. He already had some success with a popular adventure race series, which was a precursor to Survivor. But an adventure race series isn't the same as Survivor, I'd say. Now, this series was called Eco Challenge. Eco Challenge was cool and all, but it was time for Mark to do something a little more challenging. And that was? The thing that was challenging was come up with a viable show for his new format of television. How'd he do? Well, Mark and Charlie had a friend in common. I don't know who this person is, but that person had a party. They invited Mark and Charlie over. And just because of that, boy, Mark and Charlie had quite the kiki. Charlie's idea came up and Mark was in. He was all about it. Okay, so Mark apparently wanted to do this so bad with Charlie that he nagged and nagged. And nagged, and I feel like if it was today, it'd probably be like one of those things like reports of Mark Burnett being too extra. Extra, extra. Charlie uh, would then, you know, have another show and it had a, it was a terrible work experience. He said it was the worst work experience of his life. That led him to go to his pal Mark and to get to getting. Now, uh, Mark told Charlie that he wanted them to go to networks together so they could sell the show together and then make it. Charlie would make a deal with Mark where he would get the license of it. Mark would get the license and stuff because Mark was putting in so much work. So that's how he would make a chunk of chains. Now, this is Charlie Parsons talking uh, about the next few years in development. And then it'll go into maybe what happened before Survivor. Over the next few years, I'm not going to do the British voice. Over the next few years, I I developed on paper with a team. We worked out what the beats were and what each episode would contain, subject of the behavior of the contestants, the original document. with uh, uh, The idea was incredibly detailed, so, you know, huge. Every nuance was covered and very little was left to chance. Essentially, we had taken years. Network 7 was in 1988. Survivor went on air in Sweden in 1997. But in Sweden... They didn't want to use our name, which was Survive, but they wanted to use Expedition Robinson because of the Daniel De- Defoe, uh, Daniel Defoe associations it had. Why? So because of the Swiss Swiss family Robinsons. That's bizarre. I think it's still on as Expedition Robinson. So Sweden was the first one to have the format that Charlie and Mark had put together and, uh, you know, when they sell the concept, they don't really have any idea what the name, what, what it's going to be. Like I said, the development period was long. Uh, they had the backing of that uh, Buena Vista. They thought it could really work. So they just kept funneling money into the project. Charlie said, but when it came to it, the U.S. networks loved the idea, but they thought it was too risky. They'd never seen a show like this. It didn't fall into a normal category. It was an entertainment show set in a studio. It wasn't a documentary. It wasn't a drama. It's difficult to remember the days pre-reality TV, but this really broke the mold. Yeah. So 
uh, Mark Burnett's going around pitching Survivor to all the U.S. networks. One of the first people that he found support in uh, was in 1999. It was uh, Gen Maynard, G-H-E-N. I don't know how to say that correctly. So Executive Maynard, uh, who was at the time CBS's uh, d- drama development department. Uh, so obviously Survivor's perfect for it. Now, they pushed for the network then president, Leslie Moonves. There we go, kids. Good old Uncle Les. And it's not just CBS's fortunes that were changed. No, no. So were the fortunes of a former Access Hollywood correspondent and host of VH1's Rock and Roll Jeopardy. Uh-oh. That's right. Mr. Jeff Probst, a legend. So um, he has a story where he said that he was driving on the 405, heard Mark Burnett talking about this, and he pulled over and got on a payphone and called his agent to get an audition for it. So I, I'm surprised he auditioned. I, I would assume they would just ask him to come in. He wasn't known yet. I mean, Rock and Roll Jeopardy does not translate to Survivor, Robert. So the show was given a prime time summer slot for the next year. Yes. So with that prime time summer slot, gears were in motion. Time to crew up and cast out. Now, a lot of the crew was brought in from the Eco Challenge, you know, show. Mark's homies, Mark's guys, art department. Some of them were shipped in Aussies to help. Things were happening in the world behind the camera. But the world that would be in front of the camera. Well, that just getting started. Now we've done all that. And it's time to get to casting because that's kind of important for, you know, any television show. And I was gonna, how did they even advertise this? No, I'll tell you just in a, I'll give you one second because it was the person that was involved was someone named Lynn Spillman. Uh, she was brought in as casting director or CD, if you will. <laughs> that's not compact disc. Uh, she was working uh, with a producer who was working with, on Eco Challenge, the Mark Burnett show. She was known, she said, for casting, quote, real people. The casting director said this. I think we only received 2,000 submissions total, including the open call for the first season. Wow. Remember, there was no internet. The use of email had just started. In order to apply, people had to film themselves and send a VHS tape with contact info. Even making a video then was really time-consuming. Now, she said 2,000 applied. I also read over 6,000 people. So, you know, she probably just didn't get all the files. Um but of the, all those thousands, 800 were interviewed in 16 cities. So 800 was the first narrow down. Uh, and then 48 people were ch- uh, were then chosen. And after background checks and psychological evaluations. Wait a minute. <laughs> These people were psychologically evaluated? Well, um, yeah, I'm going to get to this. The casting director said that it was mostly like survivalist types at first that were applying because of mostly of Mark Burnett's circle was the eco challenge and other adventure races. Um, but eventually it got out that it was for all types of people. They were looking for everyday people who could, who they thought they could survive living outdoors for 39 days. So like I was saying, um, or you were asking as well, as so astutely as and I'm sure what the audience was wondering, they started to think about the possible toll this could take on a player's mental health, which, you know, back in 2000 was all all the rage back then. So, I mean, that's nice that it was ahead of its time. They brought in a psychologist, uh, Dr. Gene Andrasek. So Dr. Gene Andrasek was essentially, he was a panelist on NPR radio program, and he was discussing uh, thrill-seeking behavior and stress. And Mark Burnett was on that same panel, and Mark Burnett started telling the doctor about the show that he was going to be doing. And the doctor says this of uh, their discussion. It was pointed out that in that particular series, a cast member who got voted out ended up committing suicide. 
So there needed to be a way to address risk management. So CBS followed up with me, forwarded me the show concept, and asked if I could provide a proposal as to how to deal with it. One of the survivor castaways uh, that got cast was, his name's Joel. Let me just say, Joel seems like a really fun guy based on his his responses uh, in this. this is his story of the final interview. Take it away, Joel. I showed up to my interview very, very hungover. When I came in, I was met by a PA. As luck would have it, I had recently been courting a new gym, and this person was a member of this location. He told me they would uh, be looking for a guy that was going to try and start a relationship on the island. He said, play that angle and you should be okay. I had zero interest in having any sort of relationship on television, but I played an aggressive Lothario that was on a con- constant conquest for the next woman. It, looked, uh, it worked all the way through casting, all the way to... Les Moonves looking at me with a wry smile and finishing a couple of my sentences about scoring on the island to impress my buddies. Who was I to correct him? Oh, boy. Yeah, These are things that did not age well. So that was just part of the process. Uh, you know, like I said, they were sequestered. They couldn't talk to each other. The final 16 ended up being chosen. 16 people had no idea their lives were about to change in a major way. How, ma- how, how, how many people, though, are on the, on the program? 16. So I'm just going to go ahead and name the rest of the castaways. I'm going to I'm going to name all the castaways. Not going to do anything besides their t- age and where they're from, except for the final four. OK, do like a basketball announcer. Bring them out. We've got Joel, 27, from Arkansas. Gretchen, 38. She's from Tennessee. Gervais, 30, from New Jersey. Jenna, 22, from New Hampshire. Greg, 24, from Colorado. BB, 64, from Kansas. Sean, 30, from New York. Stacy. 27 from California, Ramona, 29 from New Jersey, Dirk, 23 from Wisconsin, Sonia, 63 from California, Colleen, 23 from Florida, and now the heroes of the story, the final four, no, in no particular order, we've got Kelly, 22 from California, Rudy, 72 from Virginia, Richard, 39 from Rhode Island, and Susan, Sue, 39 from Wisconsin. Those are the ones who make it to the final four, the ones you just mentioned. Yeah. And so I'm just going to read a like uh, I, the CBS, the Internet page from back in the day. I was able to get their little bio. So I just want to read the little so you get to know the final four people. Just a little highlight. So this is back in 2000, right? This is yes, not yeah, now. Perfect. Yes, I meant to say that. Perfect. Yeah, this is this is what the contestants were doing up until they were going on the survivor. So Kelly Wigglesworth, 22 from California. Kelly is certified in swift water rescue and currently working as a guide on the current river in Nevada. When describing herself, she uses the term creative, confident, and outgoing of her many accomplishments. She is most proud of having spent 21 days rowing in her own boat through the grand Canyon and being able to touch her tongue to her nose. She enjoys dancing, whitewater kayaking and snowboarding during her free time. Her favorite television show is the Simpsons and her favorite feature film is to kill a mockingbird. Okay. That's Kelly Wigglesworth, 22, from California. Who do you got next for me, Ray? Richard Hatch, 39, Rhode Island. Richard currently runs his own business as a corporate trainer and consultant, conducting seminars and numerous to- uh, topics, including con- conflict management, team building, practical negotiation, and public speaking. Richard describes himself as bright, rational, spontaneous, and humorous. Quote, just as comfortable running a meeting in a boardroom as attending the annual n- nude weenie roast of the American Society of Harley-Davidson Enthusiasts. So I guess that's the thing. He enjoys provocative and meaningful conversation, any sport involving water, snorkeling, spearfishing, swimming, etc., and camping. Richard is from and currently lives in Newport, Rhode Island. He is single and has an adopted son, Christopher. And uh, a homosexual, yes? Well, you didn't have to out the man, Rob. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. Susan Hawk, 39, Wisconsin. 
Born in Waukesha, Wisconsin, Susan attended Waukesha South Campus High School, currently employed as a truck driver. She previously owned and operated a hunting and fishing camp in Northwest Ontario, Canada. Hey. Susan's three favorite hobbies are hunting, swimming, and fishing. Like you, Rob, she enjoys hunting birds with her dogs, Ellie and Stinky. She describes herself as motivated, resourceful, and flexible. Her favorite television shows are, get this, The Drew Carey Show and Whose Line Is It Anyway? Her favorite feature film is Papillion, starring Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman, and she prefers to listen to 60s and 70s rock and roll music. A perfect day for Susan begins at 2 a.m. to walk the dogs. She would be at work by 5 a.m. delivering concrete and home by 6 p.m. for a quick run in the woods with her husband, Tim, and, of course, Ellie and Stinky, who would be looking for pheasants. Returning home, they would eat dinner and retreat to the hot tub for a romantic evening. She currently resides in Palmyra, Wisconsin. Now, Rudy's bio is one that, like, I'm going to just give highlights because the dude is accomplished. The first sentence alone is more than I could probably do in two lifetimes. Here we go. Rudy joined the Navy in April 1945 and immediately volunteered for, quote, secret and hazardous duty with the amphibious scouts and raiders, highly classified naval commando units. I've never been so turned on in my whole life. So uh, in 1951, he completes underwater demolition training. Uh, then for 11 years, he does that. Uh, in the Mediterranean and Caribbean uh, with the Na Naval Amphibious Forces, uh, becomes a proficient combat swimmer and expert in small boat operations. In 1962, is one of 50 hand-selected officers for the original SEAL Team 2. Blah, blah, blah. And he went and he went to the moon by himself. Like, what else doesn't this guy do? Come on, come on. Yeah, two, uh, two combat tours, Nam, uh, got... Uh, Bronze Star Medal for Heroic Action, uh, 45 combat operations, you know, just a couple things. Uh, became a Navy Special Warfare Community Bullfrog. Uh, there's just a lot more. He retired at the rank of Master Chief of the Navy after completing 45 years of continuous activity. 45 years in the Navy. Honorably discharged in the Navy. Uh, August 1st, 1990. Uh, he has a wife of 42 years, Marge. They're involved in extensive volunteer work. Rudy's bio and accomplishments are complete. Like, I mean, just if you can do a more than just a 180 of my life. So the castaways weren't even told that much, obviously. Just keep them in the dark as much as possible. You know, that that keeps for good TV, which is crazy to think about because it's just Survivor contestants being completely in the dark for this. Like even season two, they kind of had an idea. But like, well, this of course, was they're in the dark. There's no electricity. Rob, it was daytime. So the mics were on which just as in every television show that came before it, it was time to be split into two tribes and go to the respective camps. The first tribes in Survivor history were born that day, Pagong and Tagi. The survivor that we all know today uh, has a three-word slogan. Do you know what that is, Rob? I actually don't. I, I'm trying to think. Outwit, outlast, outplay. Now when people play... Uh, they have a whole game plan who they're going to go, who they're going to portray, you know, like what what angle. So Jervis seemed to be ahead of his time because he, this is a quote. I had a plan on how I wanted to play the game. I knew my strengths and my weaknesses, but I also knew this was a once in a lifetime opportunity and I was willing to do whatever I had to to win the game. On the boat ride over to the island, I made a deal with Ramona to never vote for her if she did the same for me. When we hit the beach, I made the same deal with Joel. So this is like one of the first time deals were being made on Survivor, which I don't at this point wasn't really necessarily in the uh, in the game plan. OK, so I'm just going to talk about the first two episodes and then move on, but just kind of tell you how things get going. So both tribes are at their separate beaches now. Things are happening at Tagi. Uh, Rudy lets his military experience kick in and starts to act as the de facto tribe leader. 
which, you know, I'm sure goes over really well. Some of the women in the tribe aren't too happy with it. I think Rudy uh, felt really bad about it. And, you know, he wanted to show contrition. I'm just kidding. Rudy really did not give a shit. I, Rudy, Rudy was tough. I remember Rudy being tough. Richard uh, then gives what may be one of the most iconic confessionals in reality TV. Uh, in reality TV, confessionals are moments when the cast member is alone in front of a camera, away from other cast members. That way they can say whatever they want without fear of retribution. This is Richard's first confessional ever. I'm good to go, survival-wise. People-wise, it'll be a little, little, little more challenging. But I've got the million-dollar check written already. I mean, I'm, I'm the winner. And it's that kind of cocky attitude that makes people really hate your gut. So that's, that's the kind of thing I've really got to keep uh, under wraps. At Pagong, BB, being the older white man of the tribe, takes the leadership role. Uh, now, I don't think he has military experience, but that didn't matter. Military or not, people did not like it. First immunity challenge ever is won by Pagong. Tagi is sent to tribal. Sonia then gets the title of first person ever voted out of Survivor. Sonia. Sonia. Immediately after she's voted out, we're introduced to a phrase that hasn't just become legendary in reality television. I feel like it's a phrase that people say who have never seen a second of Survivor. Now, do you know what that phrase is I speak of, Rob? The tribe has spoken. Look at that. I'm sorry, Mr. Propes over here. The tribe has spoken. I mean, I feel like that phrase has gone on to more than just people that are fans of reality TV. Yes, yes, yes. Nothing says showing your patriotism like supporting self-funded podcasts. Especially those hosted by two white men. It's the American dream, Ray. Yes, the American dream of not achieving your goals, so you head to the world of podcasting. And let's keep the dream alive for John Hancock. How does one do that? Well, revolutionaries, head on over to Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for This Was a Thing, and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continue defending America from foreign podcasters. Okay, can I shoot some fireworks into the night sky now? It's daytime, Rob. Plus, they're illegal. Don't tread on me. Read the hat. Now, Sonia going home instead of Rudy made Stacy very upset uh i want to play this clip it's stacy telling what she thinks of the situation immediately followed by rudy and uh man you really just get a sense of rudy right here i think after the vote at the island council rudy realized that he was just sort of a liability to us he was sitting around barking orders and not really helping out much we've all seen him eating extra food and doing inappropriate things in the kitchen like he's leaving the knives out they're getting rusty and he's opening canned goods and fruit without asking anybody i mean we don't have a lot of food here she's too uh prim like you know i mean uh after about three weeks out here in this jungle she's gonna learn a lesson i think we also get to see how richard and rudy become really close buddies now this is richard talking about his friendship with rudy Rudy and I uh, is, is an interesting dynamic because if he knew I were gay, that would be probably really difficult for him, I think. 72 years old, Navy vet, I think it would just freak him. But he doesn't, as far as I know, know that. And I think he feels comfortable talking to me. I'm certainly comfortable talking to him. He's an interesting character. So, you know, first first buddies ever made on the show. Uh, now, episode two has a moment that I feel is is big for any show, really, but especially for the year 2000. Uh, it's Richard 
Richard comes out to his tribe. I mean, I know you're you're not just homosexual. I know gay guys don't like to be called that because you're not homosexual. You're gay. You know, you're. No, I'm homosexual. I mean, yeah. Do we not not like to be called that? No, because it just makes no. If you classify them, it's only classifying people sexual. It's a term. lifestyle. Right. Right. And um, well, there is a lifestyle well, I mean, associated with being gay, but yeah. it's not something you can't say I decided to be gay. But it's been interesting in this new I environment to kind of decide when to say what yeah. about yourselves. Now, Richard has a confessional uh, and talks about his own experience as a gay man. As people get to know me, they learn who I am, and then eventually over time find out I'm gay. I've never once in my life encountered prejudice based on my being homosexual. Rudy has a little bit of screen time then. You know, it's a, I call it a, a multi-confessional smash cut, it seems. Now this is, I call it the Rudy talking about Richard smash cut. Here we go. So I found out last night, you know. When he came up here, he said, uh, you want to talk? I said, no, I don't want to talk. And he was going to tell me he was queer then. The weather ain't going to change if we went six degrees below. Where the hell's Borneo? That way. The homosexual, he's one of the nicest guys I ever met. And he's good at what he does. You know, he's got leadership ability. And, and if these people here would listen to him, he, he would take them a long way. But anyway, uh, me and Richard got to be pretty good friends. Not in a homosexual way, that's for sure. Make sure you get this oh on TV. Oh boy, you better have there a beer go. in your hand when you're doing this one, Ashley. <laughs> He's a pretty good guy. I don't know what my buddies are gonna say when I get home, but uh, I'll have to deal with that. At the other tribe of Pagong, uh, old white man Bibi, now, he works hard as hell to get the shelter built, like he's working his ass off, and his tribe says he should rest a little bit, not overdo it. He's 64 years old. Uh, now, can you guess how old white man BB reacts to this? Not well. He gets pissed. He then tells the tribe that they should just go ahead and throw the immunity challenge and vote him out. This is episode two. This is intense. They were going to stay strong and they were not going to uh, throw the challenge, though. They wanted to win, but they that didn't matter because they lost anyways. And that tribal old white man, BB, got his wish. He had spoken. The tribe had listened. Mm. Gretchen had to say this of the night. When we voted out BB, I felt like vomiting. He had orchestrated. the. He wanted to go. He had money and came from he, he came for only the adventure. The game turned into a battle he didn't want to be a part of anymore. And yet writing down his name was excruciating for me. With each vote, someone's dream ended. It's kind of beautiful when you think about it that way, don't you? Don't you think so? I mean, if you're a masochist, Jervis said that uh, he was a member of Pagong and uh, he has a memory of the first tribal. And uh, he said, our first tribal council, we decided to write Jeff's name down. That didn't go over well at all. We were a young tribe and didn't take things too seriously. We were having a great time on the island. That'll change once you saw people getting voted off. But I read that and I was like, that's a real Ray Hebel move. That's a real. That's a real Ray Ray. Okay, so that was just the first two episodes. I'll give you highlights, you know, for but not good detailed. Uh, Stacy tries to create a girls alliance so they can vote out Rudy. She thought it was just time for him to go. Women were the minority of the tribe, though, so uh, that wouldn't help. Susan wasn't even or Sue wasn't even down for the idea because she likes Rudy. Rudy doesn't like Stacy, and uh, they end up going to tribal. Stacy gets voted out five to two. Now remember this vote for later. Stacy voted out. But the first real alliance is formed in Survivor history. Sure, Stacey suggests something like that, but nothing comes of it. But the, the first alliance that actually got stuff done was formed between Sue, Richard, Kelly, and Rudy, who you remember from earlier, uh, were the final four. They, this was actually a really huge moment for the show because it's now become such an integral part 
of getting far in the game now is coming up with an alliance and having the right alliance and, you know, aligning yourself and getting, you know, power and numbers and all that stuff. Like where this was, this was all an experiment still. Like they didn't, no one knew how to play. And it was just kind of people going off their guts and just seeing what may work. I get that. Like from the get go now, every tribe has at least one person that's like going and scheming and trying to come up with alliances or now they've introduced uh, hidden immunity idols. So it's like, I'm going to go get wood. And then it's like they're gone for seven hours and they're like, uh-huh. now this is from Joel. I believe Richard coined the term alliance. Rich went a bit further and started killing his own people. He surrounded himself with people he thought he could control and eventually beat. This is why we. This is why he teamed up with Kelly Wigglesworth, Sue Hawk, and Rudy. And he kept Sean in the dark. Gretchen said this. Rich said multiple times, I'm not here to make friends. And I suppose that's what it takes. Would I be able to keep my eye on the prize and do what it takes to win? I think Yes given a second chance but in reality i was raised to play fair be a good girl give 110 and take a punch over give one like i feel like gretchen's just telling people how she's living her life now yeah that's a little different gretch gretch now uh joel he suggested that they should form an alliance before the tribes merge because there's going to be a tribal merge at, at when there's five and five or ten people left it all goes into one tribe now his suggestion doesn't go over well. Like I said, alliances are so integral now that on the other tribe, when he suggested it, people are like, no, how did you even do something like that? That's not fair. Now, he said that people were like, that's just mean. That's just mean. Why would you do that? And he seemed too bossy. Well, they the tribe lost and uh, Joel got voted out right before merge. So sorry you suggested something that is now commonplace in the game, Joel. Now tribes merge and they're evenly split five and five. So that's, you know, each, no one has better numbers. No one has higher numbers. It's all even. So now the first tribal council po- post-merge, people are not sure who they're going to vote for, but that doesn't stop that Sean guy I was telling you about. Sean is a doctor and Sean had an interesting strategy now known as the alphabet strategy. So Sean's plan was to v- vote in alphabetical order, all the rest of the uh, the other tribe. So it didn't matter if you oh. wanted them to go or not. It was just going in alphabet. This The strategy would position me to be the last person standing against the alliance, which is what happened. So yeah, he was the fifth person against the four uh, strong alliance. So it worked that far. But it's just, that's one of those things where it's not really a good strategy. And it was the first season, you know, but it just now goes down as like, oh, yeah, well, the alphabet strategy. Now, sadly, in the alphabet st- strategy, first tribal, sadly for Colleen, no one's name started with A or B. So uh, Gretchen got voted out day 21. She was the seventh voted out. Rudy, you know, of course, said it was his idea to vote Gretchen out because she was the strongest uh, of the other tribes. So he was smart to point that out. I found that out in SEAL training. Greg won two individual immunities. Then he gets voted out when he doesn't win his third because that means that, you know, he's obviously doing well. So he becomes the first member of the jury. Now, the jury, it's people who get voted out. And then at the final tribal, they're the ones who decide who win the million dollars. But they get to ask questions and all this stuff. So I'll get to that. But just to explain, uh, Greg was the first member of the jury. Okay. So at this point, Richard had proven himself to be one hell of a fisher. Don't forget in his bio, spear fishing, water sports. Now, uh, Richard being a spearfish daddy, as I call him, uh, meant that the tribe didn't want to vote him out because he provided the food. <laughs> so they're like, oh, well, Richard's a great, you know, R- Richard's very strategic, you know, like, but that's not any, that's not a worry for these people at this time. You know, season one, like you, you want to get the guy that's strategic out, but they're like, no, we're, we're hungry and he's providing food. So let's keep Richard. Jervis gets voted out. 
Uh, he won reward, not immunity. So this makes Colleen the last remaining Pagong member. Now, Kelly buddies up with her uh, seemingly out of kindness, but uh, it does not go over well with her alliance mates as they think she's posturing for votes from the jury uh, if she were to make the final two. And Sue, Sue is pissed. Sue is not happy. Now, remember this as well. Sue not being happy. Now, Kelly becomes public enemy number one, is going to be voted out, guaranteed she's going to be gone. She has to win immunity, and she does. Colleen is sent home, then making the final five all members of Toggy. And that'll be the first time the tribe has to start eating itself from within. Yum. Sue is still pissed at Kelly, but now, because she doesn't vote with the Alliance, Kelly wins next reward challenge. So Kelly wins again, which would never happen today. She wins one-on-one time with Jeff. That's the reward challenge. You get to win one-on-one time for Jeff Propes. They go to a local bar, and she gets to see the first five minutes of episode one on a 13-inch TV. Now, Kelly and Sue kind of half make up, you know. Not that much to do on the island. And Kelly wins her second immunity in a row. And uh, that one-on-one Jeff time, I think, really gave her that extra pep in that step. Now, the immunity challenge was very indicative of the time. It involves the castaways each getting a video camera and running through the jungle answering clues a la Blair Witch Project. Sean gets voted out. The alphabet strategy, apparently, like they got to S. That leaves the alliance that was formed early on as the final four. So not only was there a first alliance formed in the first season without like kind of what to do in the past, but it ends up being the final four, which is pretty big. Now we're at the final episode. 51.6 million people tune in. I mean, this is really a moment in TV history. This is huge. Kelly wins her third immunity challenge. She would she would have been voted out otherwise. So she just keeps winning or she would have gone home Uh, after having to vote again due to a two 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 tie. uh, Kelly switches her vote from Richard to Sue, which sends Sue home. Remember this final immunity challenge hand on an idol. Basic premise, like hands on a hard body, but it's uh, it's on the yes, beach. Yes, and, yes, yes. Uh, and you have to rotate, and it's not a truck. It's uh, more of like a pole. Uh, now, Richard just decides to stop. He's like, I don't want to do this. He, he explains that he's guaranteed in the final two anyway, so no need to finish the challenge. That's that cocky Richard that we love. Rudy and Kelly go head-to-head. Rudy moves his hand for one second, handing Kelly her fourth immunity win in a row, which is, I mean, it's crazy, too, because now, like, when you have a couple of wins in a row, it's like, oh, that person's good. Like, Kelly got four in a row in a time where she was going to get voted out. It was crazy. So Rudy then voted out by Kelly. Sorry, Rudy. Okay, we've now reached the final day. Just Rich and Kelly doing random beach stuff, not important. But what is important, it's the final tribal council. Man, this final tribal council, it will not only go down as, you know, obviously the first final tribal council of a survivor, but it also has one of the craziest moments ever in the history of Survivor. And that's Sue Hawk's final speech. Now, at the, the jury is allowed to get up and give a question or a speech or give their opinion. Sue Hawk went for it. And she gave what is seriously probably. She gave what is probably one of the most memorable moments in television history. I mean, if, if, at least it's if in reality show, you know, blank moments, it's in a top five. Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. I have no questions. I just have statements. Rich, you are a very openly arrogant, pompous human being. But I admire your frankness with it. You have worked hard to get where you're at, and you started working hard way before you come to the island. 
So with my work ethic background, I give that credit to you. But on the other hand, your inability to admit your failures without going into a whiny speech makes you a bit of a loser in life. Kelly, I was your friend at the beginning of this, really thinking that you were a true friend. I was willing to be sitting there and put you next to me. At that time, you were sweeter than me. I'm not a very openly nice person. I'm just frank, forward, and tell you it the way it is. Have you sit there next to me and me lose $900,000 just to stomp on somebody like this. But as the game went along and the two tribes merged, you lied to me, which showed me what the true person that you are. You're very two-faced and manipulative to get where you are at anywhere in life. That's why you fail all the time. Hmm. Interesting. So at that point of the game, I decided then just to go out with my alliance to my family and just to hold my dignity and values in check and hoping I hadn't lost too many of them and uh, play the game just as long as possible and hang in there as long as possible. But Kelly, go back to a couple times Jeff said to you, what goes around comes around, it's here. You will not get my vote. My vote will go to Richard. And I hope that is the one vote that makes you lose the money. If it's not, so be it. I'll shake your hand and I'll go on from here. But if I were ever pass you along in life again and you were laying there dying of thirst, I would not give you a drink of water. I would let the vultures take you and do whatever they want with you with no ill regrets. I plead to the jury tonight to think a little bit about the island that we have been on. This island is pretty much full of only two things, snakes and rats. And in the end of Mother Nature, we have Richard the snake, who knowingly went after prey, and Kelly, who turned into the rat that ran around like the rats do on this island, trying to run from the snake. I feel we owe it to the islands, spirits that we have learned to come to know, to let it be in the end the way Mother Nature intended it to be, for the snake to eat the rat. I remember this speech. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. remember this speech so vividly. Oh, my gosh. All right. So we now reached the final name calling for Jeff, but this time Jeff when he says a name, that means that the vote is for them, not that they're getting voted off. The winner of the first Survivor competition is Rich. Congratulations, Rich. Richard Hatch, folks. Richard wins Survivor. Four, four to three votes. So Sue saying that she wasn't voting for Kelly really did help Richard win. Now, obviously... That was their journey on the island. Now, the psychologist that I was telling you about earlier, uh, he was brought to Borneo as well because they didn't want to have history repeat itself like Expedition Robinson. Uh, so uh, he was brought out there to help with debriefing. He's also would come in clutch to psychiatric support uh, needed to be administered. So 
the alliance and backstabbing and stuff, you know, that was all new to people. But producer said that they just figured it would be kind of something that would happen. And, uh, you know, they, they figured it was a social experiment. So why not go with it if it happened? Charlie Parsons, who created the show back in the day, he said, I was delighted about the plotting and scheming. It was exactly how we designed the show. Richard Hatch was the perfect contestant. We wanted a hero who was also villainous. Any of the contestants could have been this combination, but he was the winner. You're damn right he was the winner. It seems like Expedition Robinson didn't just take Scandinavia by storm, though, because by the time they were filming season one of Survivor in Borneo, they'd already sold the concept to other countries. Uh, So the franchise was already growing fast. And with each new country marooning a select group of people, that meant new things would be learned from each day, no matter the country. So everything that was learned, they put into one big giant show Bible. Now let's get to the premiere. Now, between camera wrap and premiere, they had just over a month. Now, CBS was putting out promos calling Survivor the wildest show in television history. Now, one person that knew it was going to be a a big hit was the man who helped Mark Burnett bring the show to life, Mr. Charlie Parsons. Now, this is a quote. He said, I absolutely did know this was going to become huge. I didn't perhaps realize it would be have 40 seasons in the U.S. In the original pitch document, there was a whole section about the reaction, including a mocked up Time magazine cover recounting the phenomenon. Phenomenon. Everything we wrote came true. So first uh, first season of a show, third episode ever. It reaches number one in the TV ratings. Holy shit. Now, who did it leave in the dust when it got to number one? Powerhouses of the late 90s, early aughts TV, ER friends and who wants to be a millionaire now about the theme song this is russ landau composer i wrote the seat for the survivor theme song many years before as a submission for a paul winter consort record i was co-producing incorporating ancient russian folk songs we recorded i dusted it off began working on it for mark and after he told me about his concept for the show i imagined this mashup of lord of the flies meets mtv's real world it seemed a perfect fit mark kept asking for big bigger biggest however the crew all went nuts when they heard the ancient voices for the first time it was completely different from anything they ever imagined but it was immediately chosen for the series So now, you know, we got we got the we got to the finale. The finale is a huge, huge, huge ratings monster. Um, By the time it aired, the show is already massive. The finale had fifty one point seven million viewers tuning in. Get the fuck out. Now, CBS had a hit on their hands. I'd say it was such a hit that uh, show will start. It's uh, 45th, I think. Yeah, 45th season, sometimes in. It's September, uh, August or September this year. Now, while people knew the show would be a hit, co-creator Charlie Parson, no one could have ever guessed it would be this long uh, with that same host, Jeff Probst. Uh, This is Charlie Parson. I knew it was a game changer. 
Uh, but it never could have. I never could have anticipated it would last that this long. Survivors about heroes is a testament to the human spirit, what we can do, and what our flaws are. Everyone can identify with it. They can see themselves there. After this, me and Rob will have a little kiki about a day, o day, o day, ah, a day, o day, o day, ah. This was a thing. This was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. I really did hate to see Colleen go home. Nothing breaks my heart more than seeing a pretty girl cry. But hey, uh, Toggy Five, right? Kelly, shut your goddamn mouth until I'm ready to make up with you. Let's just calm down, folks. No need to get upset at each other. It's not worth it. We already know I'm going to win, so the bickering can end. I think it's time for everyone to shut their goddamn mouths and get some shut-eye. I should have been asleep hours ago, but that goddamn tribal council wouldn't let me get some goddamn shut-eye. You're right, Rudy. Huh? Kelly, you better stop pandering. You think Colleen's okay? I swear to God, I'm about to start counting to three. Oh, oh okay, right. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Did you hear that? Hear what? Is it someone that could vote for you? No, I hear it too. You think it's Colleen? It sounds like something is rustling about. I told you to keep it goddamn down. I'm trying to jerk off here. I got to clear my testicles of semen every night or I go kooky. And I found this out during my second tour. Wait, you did that when Colleen was here? Of course. Doctor told me I got to drain it. I mean, Rudy, we want you to be comfortable, but m maybe you could just walk a couple of yards away. Oh, I bet you want to help, don't you? No, huh? Rudy. No, no, Rudy. I just want everyone at camp to feel safe. That's why when I went naked on my birthday, I went around and asked if everyone was okay with it. You were already naked, Richard. I'm not moving. I'm already laying on the side I'm supposed to be on. I got like nine more strokes and I'm done. Wait, you've been going this whole time? You ever try and stop a moving train at full speed? Well, it depends on the train. I'm just glad Colleen didn't have to see this. Oh, she saw it. I wasn't trying to show her. I told her that if she said anything, I, I know where, where her and her family lived. She didn't laugh. It was, it was a joke. Look, I, I think it's just a little bit of common courtesy. No, only a few days left. Yeah, Rudy. Shut the hell up, Kelly. All right, I can't stay mad at you. If Colleen had to see this again... Look, uh, Rudy, we'll talk in the morning, okay, buddy? Rudy? Rudy? Oh, he's asleep. Oh, you can see that little silver dollar stain on his crotch. Thank you. This was a sketch. Survivor truly changed television, and it continues to be popular to this very day. They use the same island now. I think they essentially, like, bought it or rented it it's located in fiji uh so they can keep all the equipment there in one place it's not a lot of like moving around shipping equipment in and so it's just a matter like production offices stay there so it's just pretty they have it figured out over the 23 years they've had to come up with different niche themes to keep it fresh somewhat like uh season 22 was uh blood versus water which is th they brought back fan favorites and they all then the fan favorites brought a family member and the family members on the other tribe, so they'd have to compete and stuff against each other. Oh, that's dark. A lot of people say the best season was season 20, Heroes versus Villains. Players from uh, previous seasons, they were divided how they played the game the first time around, so if they kind of played it like, sh like a shyster, they were a villain. But they played it like an angel, they were a hero. Now, my favorite is season 40, Winners at War. They brought back 20 players who had won the game previously because, you know, in 40 seasons, there was that many. There only had been one person that won twice. Um, the winner got two million dollars and they had a they had, they all since they'd all won before. It was so interesting because they all kind of had a strategy and a different way. Like, OK, I'm going to do this. And I don't know, just everyone had good gameplay. And it's just, you know, so it, it was a good season. I can't help it. 
season one massive success, but of course there was some controversy. Remember Stacy, the gal who got annoyed by Rudy? You know, she he, she didn't like how Rudy was acting like an old guy and being bossy. Well, in early 2001, Stacy sued CBS, claiming that Mark Burnett arranged her exit and orchestrated the show's outcome. And her 14 14-page lawsuit alleged that the two of her fellow tribe mates, Dirk Bean and Sean Kniff, were persuaded to change their vote from Rudy to her. She wanted restitution for the lost prize money, plus $75,000 for out-of-pocket expensive and punitive damages. CBS and Burnett denied the allegations. Dirk supported them. Sean admitted that he spoke with Mark, and he even, and he said only to vote your conscience. Mark countersued Stacy for at least $5 million. Eventually, the case was settled out of court. Now, this is the big one. Now, Richard Hatch, winner of a million dollars, made news because... You know, there wasn't a lot of you know gay people on TV, so the, you know he was a gay man on TV. That was big, and then of course he dropped trowel and was walking around naked, which I don't think you do anymore. It's a great representation for our community. Well, here let me ask you a hypothetical. Yeah. Now, if, if if you're the first ever winner mm-hmm. of a massive hit television show and you took home one million dollars, you do everything by the book knowing that all eyes are on you, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, Richard Hatch didn't have time for any of that, okay? He just won a million dollars. Now, he was con- uh, he was convicted on January 25th, 2006, so it took about six, five and a half years, uh, on two counts of tax evasion and one count of signing a fraudulent tax return. See, he didn't pay his taxes, and it amounted to about $1.4 million. Survivor mil- the Survivor Million, 321000 for co-hosting a radio show in Boston and 28000 for a rental property. So he was just not paying. And now, according to an investigation, he hired two different accountants in 2001 and 2002 to prepare his tax returns that would have reflected the survivor winnings. But rather than file either of those two, he filed a return that didn't reflect the winnings and, uh, you know, just thought no one would ever notice. Uh, He pleaded guilty to two of those counts before the conviction. He served a 51-month sentence in federal prison, and his release was under a three-year supervision. For tax evasion. Yeah. Now, let's talk about Mark Burnett real quick. Now, do we do we know what Mark Burnett uh, is so wonderful for gracing the world with after Survivor? Mark Burnett created a show on NBC. Yes, that show is called The Apprentice. Yeah, called The Apprentice. And uh, a lot a lot of people say that because of of The Apprentice, it helped Donald Trump win the presidency. So therefore, and Mark Burnett's been very vocal of uh, his support for Donald Trump. He then married an angel that he got touched by Roma Downey. And now they are producers for the Bible show on History Channel that was a smash hit. So they're just going in. They're going in. Mark Burnett is going in. He went from Eco Challenge to Ecclesiastes Challenge. That's go- Hey, that's, that's a good headline. What can I say? I'm a newsman. Now let's bring it over to the game man. Woo! Mark Schroeder. This was a thing, and now it's a quiz. This is a this was a quiz. With Mark Schroeder. All right, uh, we are down to the final vote. All right, let's see who is going to lead the game and what the tribe says. Mark Schroeder. Mark, the tribe has spoken. Uh, Lead us into this game that you got for us. Well... Even though I'll be leaving this game, uh, I'll say that since all three of us are here right now, I'm going to go out on a limb and call us all survivors. We have survived up until this very yes, moment in time. So congratulations. Yes, Can you recognize a fellow survivor, though? We're going to find out 
today with a little game called Survival of the Fittest. Here's how this is going to work. You guys are going to work together to survive my series of challenging questions. Okay. Okay. Put your brains together to answer 10 clues about famous survivors. This is like an escape room. Yes. If you can survive and escape this room, you will have survived and escaped this room. What a day. Number one, I Will Survive was a smash hit in 1978 for this singer. Don Gloria Gaynor. Gloria Gaynor. <laughs> and you're lucky he's saving you. Is I should cancel out good ones. You guys should deliberate. Oh, Collaborate? That's a good idea. Okay, sorry. Hey, whatever you want to do. You play the game. I'll just read the questions. On March 5th, 2015, this actor and pilot made an emergency landing on the Penmar Golf Course in Venice, California. I think it's Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Crash on a motherfucking golf course. I hate snakes. Evil Knievel suffered a crushed pelvis and femur, fractures to a hip, wrist, and both ankles, and a concussion while attempting to jump over the fountain outside of this famous Las Vegas landmark. Caesar's Palace. That is correct. I almost said Little Caesar's. Little Caesar's Palace. He hit the pizza! Don't forget, Little Caesar today is played by Shecky Green. You can go see him <laughs> at the ballroom at the Sands later on tonight. Nikki Six, the bassist for this band, was clinically dead for two minutes after a 1987 heroin overdose before being resuscitated. ACDC? No, that would be Motley Crue. Motley Crue mm. book is, is called The Heroin Diaries. Correct. Really? Dang, dude. Yeah, legally dead for two minutes. Lives in Westlake. Oh, let's go say hi. Lives is the key word, guys. He survives in Westlake. The band Survivor recorded a hit song for what Sylvester Stallone hit? Rocky Two. Rocky Three. Three. Close. Sorry. I would not even know that. You're one Rocky away. I have the tiger. I have the tiger in the thrill of the night. A collapsed right lung, multiple fractures of his right leg, scalp laceration, and a broken hip were injuries sustained after a van struck this best-selling author in 1999. Uh, Stephen King. King. Yes, that is correct. A scary day indeed for Mr. Stephen King. Among the survivors of the 1912 sinking of the Titanic was this cowardly chairman of the White Star Line. Victor Garber. J. Bruce Ismay. Played I by that great actor. Victor Garber. This rapper, actor, and businessman survived being shot nine times at point-blank range. That would be, I believe, 50 Cent? You're right. It's 50? Alice Hardy is the final girl in which slasher film classic? That would be... Uh, of, uh, Friday the 13th. That is correct. That is Friday the 13th. Survivor was a number two chart topper for Destiny's Child, a musical trio comprised of Beyonce Knowles Carter, Kelly Rowland, Michelle Williams. Yes, that is correct. And good on you, my man. Well, I think you did really damn well. You did Gloria Gaynor, you Williams. got Harrison Ford, you got that, you got Motley Crue, you missed Rocky Three. you got Stephen King, you missed Bruce Isma, you got Fiddy, you got Friday. Yeah, you got eight out of ten. You're survivors. Hell you yeah. live to see another day. What should our survivors do, right? Oh, man. They should uh, head on over to patreon.com slash this was a thing. Oh, Lucy level. $5 a month gets you exclusive content. Also, go to Instagram. This was a thing pod. Go to the website www.thiswasathing.com. That's it. That's it. That was great. That's the take.
Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really like what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 